Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to operate profitably and adapt continuously. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Happy to be here. We are live streaming. We're so excited. This is season 11, our longest running SAP Game Changers radio series. I'm Bonnie D. You can call me that. In the house with three of our best favorite guests on the show. I'm allowed to say that because I'm the host. This is season 11. I have to do a shout out to one of our guests today is Pras Chatterjee. And he, along with Birgit Starmans at SAP, are the sponsors of this series. And a shout out to former sponsor and mover and shaker of the series, Chris Grundy who moved to another team. Let's see what we're going to be talking about today. Oh, my goodness. There's a buzz out there. You've all heard of it. It's data is now more valuable than oil. It's been a popular business sentiment for years, but where did it come from? In 2006, there was a British mathematician and a Tesco marketing mastermind named Clive Humby. And according to Wikipedia, he shouted from the rooftops, data is the new oil. Well, a Forbes contributor, Michael Kirshner, founder of ILC, a lighting design company, he said data isn't the new oil, time is. So we've got a debate going on, but let's go back to oil. Oil has reigned for centuries as one of society's most valuable resources. I think we all know that and still consider that today. Throughout history, guess what? Those who control the oil control the economy. But in today's data economy, and I think we can agree on that, it can be argued that data, due to the insight and knowledge that can be extracted from it, think of the metaphor parallel with oil, is potentially more valuable. Like oil, Raw data's value comes from its potential to be refined into an essential commodity. And I'm quoting Therese Farabach, who is the CEO of the Northridge Group. So let's talk about this a little. Well, we can debate this metaphor a lot, a lot, a lot. The power and abundance of data in all of its forms. You know where it comes from. And it's in lakes, it's in swamps, it's in rivers, it's in oceans right now. It's good, it's bad, it's old, it's new. What do we do with it? It still holds a special place within the enterprise and especially within the Office of Finance. And that's what we talk about here on Financial Excellence. No, we're not going to tell you where to get cheap gas or how to balance your checkbook, just in case you're interested. But you, you who think it is, you can still listen. But how the FP&A, that's Financial Planning and Analysis Function, leverages operational and financial data in their day-to-day -day activities question mark, question mark, question mark. It still remains a mystery. With systems that connect data in a meaningful manner, which is what you want, what can finance do to change processes and make impactful decisions to become a more data-driven function? Why they want to help the business constituents and increase shareholder value. I'm going to ask my three esteemed guests to wave when I call your name. Brian Kalish at Kalish Consulting. Hello, Brian. Welcome back. They've all been on so many times. Jeff Hattendorf at MacRespect. Rumor has it when Jeff speaks, everybody stops and listens. So that's a mandate for our listeners and our viewers on LinkedIn today. And of course, Pras Chatterjee, one of our esteemed co-sponsors. And the topic today is the road to financial prosperity powered by data. Oh my, oh my, oh my. Pras, thank you for this great topic. I, I'm looking forward to it. Oil, water, you know what they say, oil and water don't mix too well. So maybe we have to have that discussion as well. I'm going to ask my three guests, each of you to please introduce yourself. But instead of starting from scratch, tell us a little bit about your company, what you do, but give us an update because you're all on the show so <coughs> frequently. I want to know what have you been up to and what's your passion for this data, 
oil, time, water, where is the value today? Brian Kalish, you're up first. Please welcome and please introduce yourself again. Brian, hi. Hey, it's great to be here. Happy New Year. I, 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 I follow the rule that through February, if I haven't seen you yet, I get to still say Happy New Year. Um, so it's great to be here. Um, I'm coming from Washington, D.C., but what's really been exciting of late is the world is reopening. So three of the last four weeks, I've been on the road. I've been to Houston, Texas. I've been to Orange County, California. I've been to, um, where was I last? I was in Minneapolis last week, off to Chicago. Um, to, to cheat a little bit, uh, Praz's background is in Dubai, which I'm happy to say I'm actually scheduled to go to Dubai. So I'm supposed to be in Dubai in May and in London in, and Dubai in June. So the world's opening up. So that's, that's what the big story is. Um, you know, we've been in shutdown for, for two years. We've learned incredible things. We found out that we can do radio shows via Zoom. We found out we can reach out to a lot of people uh, that it was very hard to get to. The way that we'll be doing uh, work going forward will be fascinating to see how we adjust to it. Um, but no, really, the, the focus right now is that the, the desire for insights for organizations has never been higher. A great conversation I had with a, a Fortune 100 CEO, his aspiration for the organization is to be able to, the business to be able to react within 90 seconds of learning something. And that seems incredible. But his point is the market does that. So if you're a publicly traded company and news, whether it's positive or, or negative, comes out, it doesn't take three or four days or a week for the market to react. It's 90 seconds. And so the idea that we need to take our data as in close to real time as possible and then understand what's happening and be able to make business decisions based on what we're seeing has never been more important. And so I would say that's the number one topic in talking to F heads of FP&A here in North America and around the world. So it's fascinating. I really appreciate the invite because obviously I swim in this. Uh, this is my, my, my swim lane. And so it's just <laughs> a pleasure to be with everyone here today. Thank you, Brian. And just give us a couple of sentences on Kalish Consulting. When did you start it? Just refresh everybody. When did you start it? Where are you based? You world traveler back in the swim, you. And uh, just one or two things about the services you offer. Brian? Certainly. So uh, I was on the corporate side for about five, 25 years. I wish we were five years. Um, work, did a pivot into the nonprofit to actually support the FP&A profession on a global basis. And about six and a half years ago, I started my own practice. And really what my focus is, is on helping organizations create a culture of analytics for data-driven decision-making. And that comprises people, process, technology, and culture. So in addition to the consultancy, I work as a senior advisor for Noy Group in New York, which connects senior executives together. Um, I work as an uh, uh, expert in residence with eCapital, where we do a lot of uh, thought leadership. And then when, one of the things that's a true, true passion of mine is I get the opportunity to teach at Florida International University in Miami on the topic of FPNA. So it's a real busy life and I'm really enjoying it. And again, it's just a pleasure to be with you here today. Thank you. You're very kind. Lovely to have you back. And uh, and Noy Group, one of our uh, one of our panelists, our frequent panelists here, moved to Noy Group from uh, from the Hackett Group. Um, Nilly, Nilly, correct. Oh, right. Yes, I remember. See, and, I remember. And, 
total side note, this is the second time Nelly and I have worked together. We actually had worked together a number of years ago, uh, gone different ways, and I'm now back together. <laughs> Very interesting. Thank you for that. I, my brain was saying, who, who, I know, I know, Nilly, Nilly, yes. We got to get her back one of these days, Press. Jeff Hattendorf, welcome back. I love the new logo. I understand the marketing people at MacroSpec said, you will stand in front of this for the show today, Jeff Hattendorf. <laughs> and you said, aye, aye. So, Jeff, welcome. Bring us up to date, please. Besides the new logo in the background, the beautiful Zoom background, what have you been up to? Jeff, welcome. Well, I, I wish it was as exciting as what Brian's been doing, but I am simply a humble nerd who makes my way in this world by helping the FPNA folks understand the data and trying to bring what IT and systems can do together for finance. Like Brian, I'm really excited that the world is open back up. I don't miss traveling every week, but I miss traveling over the last couple of years. So since the last time we spoke, I've had the chance to go to London, uh, South Dakota, Colorado, uh, New Jersey, California. So I've been several places. I might even have status with one of the major airlines again uh, before this, this current year is up. Kind of have mixed emotions about that. But it's it's been a really good time because as the world opens up, the demand in our space for, for what we do around FP&A has shot through the roof. We, we can't find good people fast enough, quite frankly. So it's a really good problem to have, but it is a problem. So as we went into COVID, Everyone went into bunker mentality. And as we were emerging from that, everyone's in a rush to figure out what can we do to improve the business, to improve our opportunities in the marketplace. And FP&A plays a huge role in that, which is kind of why this topic excites, excites me. As I mentioned, I'm a nerd by nature. Things like big data and its, its, its largest component, dark data, fascinate me. I know many people will fall asleep just at the mention of those things. So we've been talking about it apparently for 15, 16 years. And we're still talking about it because companies haven't yet solved it. And so it's, it's, it's a challenge that I don't think is going to be solved in the lifetime of, of my career. I think it's a process. It's an it's a evolution, not a revolution, up until the point that the computers can take over and understand all the data in real time. If the, if the computers can assimilate that data, then I can make the sec- decisions in 90 seconds of receiving that data. But right now there is so much, it gets lost. Lost and found. We need to found it. By the way, you said that just talking about big data and dark data puts people to sleep. I don't think so, because there's an organization, Jeff, called Women in Big Data. And I know that because on March 8th, 2021, I was their kickoff speaker for International Women's Day. And I talked talked to the ladies uh, about my career as an early woman in tech, as a programmer analyst back in the 1970s, when in the key punch age, when I was coding COBOL for a Xerox Sigma 6 CP5 before Honeywell bought Xerox and standing on a step stool to put a disk pack into the disk drive and the pack was this big and I was in heels and they had to give me a step stool and you loaded the pack into the drive from the top and then you closed the drawer or something like that and doing job control language JCL and doing my own specs with a consultant call me up and say here here's Bonnie get a, get a piece of paper and and draw five columns down and three columns across and this is this is what the report has to look like go program it and that's what I did and it was amazing eating sleeping breathing and drinking COBOL 24 hours a day seven days and I loved it I was thrilled so big data I, I'm on board and I, I don't know whether I'm a nerd or just a, a just a 
shall we say, a longtime techie. We'll be very polite there. Jeff, thank you for the memories. I appreciate that. I can't believe it's a year since I spoke to those ladies. I hope they were inspired. I showed them pictures of key punch machines, by the way, and mainframe computers. And they Number said, Number your what? cards. I still have my, my silver-covered COBOL handbook, and I still have green bar paper with a cord dump, and I showed them what it looks like, and the notes I wrote in pencil on what the programs were supposed to look like. It was a riot. Pras, enough reminiscing here, Pras. Welcome. It's your show, so please bring us up to date. What have you been up to? And just welcome. Pras, I always love talking to you. Go ahead. Yeah, Bonnie. Uh, thanks so much for having me, and thanks so much, guys, for some great uh, statements. And uh, so I'm uh, currently in Toronto, Canada, as always, uh, with a background for Dubai because uh, it's a little bland here in Toronto and rainy and dark and snowy, all those things that make winter wonderful and great. Uh, beyond that, um, obviously, uh, in my case, I do not have a badge of dishonor like Jeff. I have no status when it comes to flying or anything. I have zero status, which, again, may, is if that's either a badge of honor or dishonor, not really sure. We'll figure that out at the end of the year. Uh, but I am excited to get back on the road. Uh, and in terms of getting back on the road, on a personal level, I'm a runner. I love running. Uh, Jeff and I see that. You know, we I see Jeff's always skiing on Strava. He always sees that I'm running or riding a bike or Peloton or something like that. And uh, unfortunately, Canada over the last two years they've canceled all races because of closures and this and that but i'm keeping my fingers crossed that in uh, a few months i might get to ottawa canada if they remove all those blockades that you've heard about and i could run the ottawa marathon or half marathon or something or i run with the truck convoys and not to get political on that but <laughs> just throwing that out there um on a more personal note, when it comes to data, I love data because uh, many years ago, um, not to talk about statements, my mom taught me something, and she clearly heard this from someone, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. And I see that in the workplace a lot. And clearly someone really wise said that, and she heard that and passed that on to me. Because to me, the way I interpret it is that we don't often have a complete picture of information in terms of what's out there and um, what's really matters and what's and you know often things are very binary if you have all the information in front of you but people often gravitate towards little bits of data incomplete inaccuracies or whatnot and make decisions based on that and really i think having data in the hands of finance or just business users in general lets you communicate better decisions that really could be binary and instead you go from you know which we often see i'm sure we all the four of us have seen you know there's that statement hippo highest paid person's opinion and that often exists because they've spoken you know very loudly or whatnot well you know if you have the data in front of you you can influence those decisions and help increase shareholder value and everything else out there to make data-driven decisions Thank you very much, Pras. And and I want you to say something about how excited you are to come back for season 11 of this Love show. It. Absolutely. The value is there, isn't it, Pras? I don't think anybody's talking about these topics in the way that we have been for so many years, mm -hmm. humanizing finance and talking about the office of the CFO and what it is to become a finance professional, right? Jeff and Brian and Pras, it's not just being a nerd, not sitting in the basement anymore with a green eye shade and a green banker's lamp. It's leading companies. It's getting access to actionable insights, becoming a steward of the business, helping to guide the business in a much more hands-on way than in the past when it was always looking over your shoulder. Oh, I think we'll get the spreadsheet. Oh, it's a month of looking at spreadsheets. Yeah, what was last quarter all about? Did we meet our goals? No more. So that's why it's so important. Thank you very much. I have to do a disclaimer to LinkedIn. I just realized I posted that the show is live on February 23rd. It's the 22nd, so my apologies. But everybody wave. Hello, we're live and it's today and the 22nd. My up so excited about this. Let's go to the part of the show where I've asked my three guests to send me a quote from a fictional character in a movie, 
TV series, or a song lyric. And aha, they've sent some interesting ones. Brian, I'm supposed to be off the topic, and I'm going to let you get away with this because your quote is so fabulous. I'm sorry. Yes, Brian, I'm looking at you. Brian has picked a quote from the character Howard, played by Walter Houston, The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, 1948. (gasps) American Western film written and directed by John Houston. It was an adaptation of B. Traven's 1927, B. Period Traven's novel, set in 1925, follows two downtrodden men. One of them was Humphrey Bogart, who joined forces with a grizzled old prospector, Walter Houston, the director's father, in search for gold in Mexico. And here is how it beautifully relates to our topic. So it's okay, Brian. Water's, I can't do a, a Walter Houston, I can't do an accent, but water's precious, sometimes maybe more precious than gold. So we had water, we had gold, we have gold, we had oil, we have time, all as what is the value of data. How did you find this quote, Brian Kalish? Talk to me. So, no, obviously you sparked the, the whole uh, thought <laughs> process because, you know, as in your, had in your setup, you know, data is the new, you know, is, is data the new oil? Is data the new um, time? Is, is data the new goal? Um, you know, I, I think what's important is that, you know, we, we have to think about, you know, what has value. And what's fascinating is what has value changes as a function of time and the circumstances that we are. So to my, to me, it's a bit like, you know, Maslow's hierarchy, you know, at the end of the day, what's truly valuable is what keeps us alive and thriving. And so, you know, I think we could get confused about, you know, what is actually important, but at the end of the day, if living creatures don't have access to water, they will perish very quickly. And so I see data as, as precious for organizations, as much as water is, is precious for life. Um, so to, to paraphrase Howard, you know, data's, data's precious, so sometimes even more precious than gold. And really the, the thought that I had is that to, to me, data is the new water. Uh, the most effective data is clean data. And like water, data needs to be accessible, it needs to be clean, and, it needs to, and it's needed to survive. So I started, about, uh, I started thinking about water as a, you know, a useful metaphor for data. Because when you see terms like, you know, like pipelines and, and data lakes, you know, it, it, it's, it's pretty widespread and understood in, in our world. And the water idea has been part of the lexicon, like we're saying, for data professionals for a little while. So one of the things, in, in addition to, to oil, I, as I do these roundtables around the world, I ask people, what data is the new blank? What is it? And, you know, what have we heard? We've heard oil, very big, gold, very big. I like this one, which is it's the new superpower. Mm. Um, and then my personal favorite is data is the new bacon. So, um, so it, it's interesting how, how people say. But at the end of the day, I believe, you know, again, data is, is the new water. Um, you know, one can argue, you know, water has a far better social context than potentially oil or gold. Um, and it helps really um, elevate the value of data in, into the executive suite. So it's not surprising, just to kind of close here, that organizations that strategically invest in creating data to, to insights, what I kind of like to say, farm to, ta- farm to table data to insights, um, uh, the capabilities they have through modern data and analytics pipelines are seeing significant impacts to their bottom line. Thank you very much. And just to add a little side note there, I read last year somewhere that people were saying, 
Oil is something you use and then it gets dirty and it needs to be flushed out or gotten rid of and how do you bury it safely and where do you put it? Whereas data, we know the good, the bad, the ugly, the clean, the dirty, the, the whatever it is, lakes, swamps, wherever it is, waterfalls, uh, data may still have a lot of value into the future depending on what insights you are looking for or how actionable they were at the time or whether you still keep using it. You don't have to necessarily say, oh, that's Never mind. I'm going too far with this. You get the point. Jeff Hattendorf, you're going to rescue me, dear. Jeff has sent us a quote from <laughs> Master Shifu, voiced by Dustin Hoffman. Can't do that accent. Kung Fu Panda, American media franchise by DreamWorks Animation, consisting of three films, Kung Fu Panda 2008, Kung Fu Panda 2 2011, and Kung Fu Panda 3 2016, set in a fantasy wuxu genre version of ancient China populated by anthropomorphic, I can pronounce that, animals, features the adventures of Po Ping, a giant panda, improbably chosen as the prophecy dragon warrior. And here is the quote, and this relates to what something Brian just said. I can't believe how you gave me this segue, Brian. Almost good on you and shame on you, because I want this quote to be standalone. The quote is, you think it's that easy? Then I, that I'll just hand you the secret to limitless power? And Brian just talked about that. Jeff, where'd you find this quote? Very interesting. Well, my kids might be embarrassed of this now. <clears throat> One is a computer science major at the University of Texas. The other is a junior in high school. And this is a movie we watched probably a dozen times. So the specific quote I had to look up to make sure I got the words right. But that moment where Master Shifu is talking to the giant panda and saying, no, you can't be the master. You don't even have the basics yet. It, it, it struck me as relevant to this topic. You know, we live in a world where 2005 or 2006 is the quote that you opened the show with. It's been 16 years since that quote was made. Today, I have clients, and these are all multinational, multi-billion dollar enterprises, Fortune 500 companies that you've heard of, who are just now investing into data lakes, who are just now working on how do I get all that data in one place? And as Brian said, how do I make it clean? How do I structure it in a way that the machines and the people can work together to understand it? We're, we're in the 19th century of the oil boom. There aren't enough machines and things to make the oil worth a lot, but there's a huge opportunity that it's untapped at this point. And that's, that's why that quote spoke to me as far as this topic goes. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And I don't think we've, I, I didn't even know Dustin Hoffman was voicing different movies. I remember him from way back in so many movies where you actually saw him as well as heard him. Thank you, Jeff. Very interesting. And let's go to Process Quote. This is from a Neil Young song, The Painter, from the album Prairie Wind 2005. It's the 26th studio album, wow, by Canadian-American musician Neil Young, released on September 27th that year, 2005. And I'm just going to read this little tiny bit, Process, here. After after dalliances, I love that word, with 1960s soul music, Are You Passionate?, and rock opera, Greendale, Prairie Wind featured an acoustic-based sound reminiscent of Neil Young's albums Harvest and Harvest Moon, and it was inspired by the illness and recent death of his father, Canadian sports writer and novelist Scott Young, and dedicated in part to his dad. Here's the quote, and this is lovely. If you follow every dream, you might get lost. Oh, Pras, I want to cry. That's so beautiful. What does it have to do with Powered by Data, Pras? 
Uh, absolutely. I mean, I want to pay a tribute to Neil Young, obviously being a fellow Canadian. And uh, uh, the reason I chose that quote is because, again, we all have dreams. There's dreams, there's aspirations, and there's dreams of all sorts. But there's also dreams that we're passionate about. And what I really like about dreams that uh, all of us are passionate about is the fact that uh, I think, you know, subconsciously or intrinsically or some way, shape or form, we make these decisions to follow these dreams because we see something in these dreams that no one else sees whatsoever. And the way we see that is potentially through data. Uh, we can have data lakes, data marts, data warehouses, data of all sorts, data pantries, whatever you want to call it. But in the midst of all that data, all the clean data that exists there, the dirty data, we've extracted something in that data that lets us follow us dreams, that lets us see uh, the light at the end of the tunnel, uh, a clear way of following your passions and getting something done uh, that no one else has seen before. I mean, if we look at all the innovation out there, I'm sure the innovation didn't come just out of a dream. It came out of a dream that was supported by facts and data that, again, was unique to that individual, that that individual was able to communicate and share through their processes, their you know funding efforts or whatnot to their shareholders and ultimately get things done, especially in this new global um, you know, technology-based economy. So that's really where that came from for me. Um, you know, it's really about following dreams and uh, making sure that we don't get lost by following silly dreams, not silly dreams, but really following dreams that we can back up with, just things that we can see, and then we take the, that information out to everyone else. What do you want to do today? Focus, do a good job, or put your passion in it and then decide if you want to keep going. Thank you, Pras. That was lovely. Thank you, gentlemen, for some really, really interesting quotes. We haven't had any of these on the show before, so I appreciate that. Let's go to our formal roundtable, even though we've been talking about this all along. I just want to refresh for our viewers on LinkedIn and for our listeners on Voice America Business. The topic today is the road to financial prosperity powered by data. That's the four-letter word we're talking about, data, data, data. My special guests are Brian Kalish, Jeff Hattendorf, and Pras Chatterjee. And I'm Bonnie D in the house still, and we're so happy to be here live streaming today. Brian, I'm going to pick up your statement number three you sent me before the show. Why don't you take about three minutes max, and then I'm going to go around the table and ask Jeff, agree or disagree. Jeff, Brian's in a good mood today. It's okay to disagree. And Pras, they're both in a good mood. You can agree or disagree with both of them when I get to you. Let's see if we can cover a bunch of topics. So let's go well, we keep it to about two minutes. So Brian told me the following, organizations must embrace hyper-automation. It's in quotes, increased focus on growth, Digitalization and operational excellence have highlighted the need for better, more widespread automation. I'm going to stop there. Brian, why don't you give us a, a semi-deep dive into this, and then we'll see what your co-panelists have to say. Brian Kalish, you're up. Sure. So, I mean, just kind of as a setup, you know, finance leaders are expected to invest in digital technologies fast. And one way this is happening is using digital technologies to, again, the, the word that we, we, we put in quotes, hyper-automate our financial processes. In other words, combining RPA, which is robotic process automation with other technologies. And this is gonna allow finance teams to really improve you know, end-to-end uh, -end processes by uh, combining different technologies for, for uh, process improvement. And so it, it's the idea that it's great that we're beginning to automate. It's really picked up over the last two years because as we've been in the, uh, the, the, the pandemic, everyone, you know, we threw out the term, this is how we've always done it uh, because we've never done it this way, right? How do you, how do you run a world economy uh, in, in a remote environment? And so it's the idea that we need to take all the pieces, not just kind of these blocking and tackling little 
activities, which is important to do. But we want to be able to take data and RPA and machine learning and intel and and um, and artificial intelligence and really free up our people from what I like to say is, is, is freedom from low IQ activities for high IQ people. And so what we have to do is as long as, and it all starts with, with data governance, but if we can get our data to be clean as water, it's amazing how many of the things that we do during the day we can automate. And it, I, I just think that as people are trying to become much more effective, much more efficient, and get a lot more done a lot quicker, that 90-second response time, you've got to look at automation, but you have to look at it really in leveraging it with other technologies. So I'll, I'll stop there. Thank you. Very, you you dropped a lot of interesting things. I'm wondering if your co-panelists are going to seize on them. I'm not going to say a word. Zip it up, BD. Okay, Jeff, go ahead. Agree or disagree with Brian. You're up. Well, I think Brian's on the right track. I mean, <clears throat> You want to automate the things that are simple, that are repeatable, but that's that's not enough. We we have a an entrenched, established group of people in in corporations and organizations around the world that for them there is fud, fear, uncertainty, a doubt about what their future holds. Is what what will I be doing in this new world? And mm-hmm. their their wooby is Excel. Their their passy, their 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 safety blanket is Excel. There's a reason that every major vendor in our space, and we work with big companies all the time, and they've got some tool that we're working on. When we go to enhance that tool or replace that tool, the first question is, does it work with Excel? The, the mindset of the people has to change, and you've got to attack the FUD that exists in people's minds within the organization, or no investment in tools is going to make a difference. Change management rears its head. Let's talk to Pras. Pras, agree or disagree? We've got some good concepts here on the table. Yeah, I, I do agree with Jeff. And I just wonder if uh, if Jeff's statement, and I obviously agree with what Brian said, but I just want to expand a little bit on what Jeff said. Um, if his statement about Excel and people being entrenched, if that's something that will stay static or it will shift in an organic manner. And the reason I mentioned that is because when I look at young kids these days or people that mm-hmm. are entering the field of finance, I mean, they're not as deeply entrenched in Excel as some other individuals are. I mean, I know when I was in the finance space, I lived and breathed Excel. I mean, my big stick was look at this V lookup embedded with an H lookup with an array that I've built and haha, nobody else can solve this problem. And I don't even know what I've built in this formula. And there's still a lot of that going on there, but things are so simple these days. I mean, um, you know, uh, Brian talked about robotic RPAs and automation. And I mean, I just look at my personal life for automation. I mean, there was probably a day, I mean, look, I'm thinking back to my parents where, you know, if they needed banking information, they'd go, they'd have a passbook, they'd open it up, flip by page by page. Nowadays, I just go to my web client on my mobile device. I see what my spending patterns or my trends are, what's coming in, what's coming out. I've got instant analysis. And I think that people in finance that are coming in are probably going to push this wave of instant analysis. And maybe, I mean, I don't know, there might be the, a point where, Jeff, they just come together like this and they butt heads or whatnot. But I'm hopeful that that will change organically with this new wave of education and talent? There's definitely an age cutoff that we see in our clients. People in my demographic, well over the age of 40, Excel is our, is our go-to. It's what we know. People below the age of 40 are like, I'll use Excel if you make me, but I don't really care to. They've grown up with the web and with apps. Right. And, you know, I, I don't, 
FP&A is, is definitely going to have an organic change if we don't have one pushed down from the top. The change. Brian, this was your topic. You sparked a good conversation, sir. Anything you want to wrap up with them before we move on? I just wanted to add to what you know Jeff was saying is it's fascinating because I actually speak to organizations about bringing in RPA. And what you find is senior management loves it, right? Because they see all the efficiencies. Mm-hmm. Adding the young people, they love it because there's there are all these tasks that they don't want to do. Um, and then it's the fear, the FUD, as Jeff put it, of the folks in the middle. And so the way that I've tried to approach it is tell me about the worst hour you have every day at work, and I want to liberate that from you. And there's no one who we work with who doesn't take that, right? Everyone wants to get rid of the worst hour of their day. And I'm like, I'm just going to automate it away. I'm not, where I have seen people fail, initiatives fail is if you're trying to automate Brian Kalish's job, I'm finance director and say, I wanna automate your job. It's a fool's errand. It has almost a hundred percent fail rate. You have to look at the activities that people were doing and automate those. So I think it was Gartner that came out that 55% of finance, and I'm using air, oh, you can see me using air quotes. um, (laughs) Finance can be automated but only about 5% of the people. And that's the story that has to be told. And to, to Jeff's and to Price's point, you just have to communicate it. We're not trying to replace you with Bob the bot. We're actually trying to enhance your job, make your job more interesting, and hopefully you know, give you the tools and the time to do the fun parts of your job and get rid of the things that you really don't wanna be doing. Interesting. And if we put all this in the context, gentlemen, of the great the era of the great resignation of people leaving jobs for so many reasons right now, burnout, tired of the remote and the working from home and the homeschooling kids and my job doesn't, I don't love my job anymore. So many reasons. There are articles almost every day in major newspapers about this. And I'm doing a show on my technology revolution next week. Uh, with Kerry Brown, formerly of SAP, on on what's really happening. It'll be interesting to see if this hyper-automation, Brian, and some of the other topics we've been talking about, the upskilling, the the giving, getting rid of the part of the hour of the day you hate the most about your job, if that will keep people in jobs. It'll be interesting to see if there's an influx of new talent of any age group, any age cohort, any, any demographic into finance as a result of the automation of, of the boring or the repetitive. It'd be interesting to see. I'd love to see a, a, a talent review in one year, and I'm sure we'll be around to talk about that, on what happens in terms of the talent pool in finance in a year to see see if what we're talking about helps. Thank you so much, Brian. Great conversation starter. Jeff Hattendorf, I'm looking at statement number three. Let's see if this is controversial. It's at least provocative. You say finance, specifically FP&A, must partner with IT. And Jeff put duh in parentheses, and that's not air parentheses. And marketing, gasp. This is a real reality check, Jeff, to grow beyond financial reporters and into effective storytellers. This one sentence is so loaded with things we want you to unpack. So, Jeff, it's all yours. Go ahead. So, I thought this one might catch your attention, and it's it's about this the, the idea that we've been doing this in this space going back to the 70s. And I think we mentioned that earlier in the car, in the show. You've got punch cards and systems. Um, some of the biggest IT companies in the world were founded in the 70s and the 80s, and Finance is one of the first organizations to start taking advantage of that. But it's all we've done. 
So finance and IT have, have married up and, and we, there's a love-hate relationship. And most of my job is trying to get those two sides to work together because they don't always seem to want to. But what's missing is in this, in this sea of data that we don't really understand is the ability to make that information meaningful and memorable. Until it becomes actionable, meaningful, memorable, those three words resonate with me over and over again. The business isn't going to realize any enterprise value from this. You know, the, the keys to that are you've got to have finance, but finance has to be, be empowered and educated to change the process. They have to be better at what they do. And they really want to hold on loosely to the ideas they have today because how they do things today are going to be different in the future. A combination of RPA and, and big data and analytics and machine learning, all of those things are going to change how they operate. From an organizational standpoint, IT has to put in the systems and, and really, and we've, done, we've, we've avoided working with marketing for most of my 20 years in this space because marketing tends to want to change things and, and make things look pretty. And we're just trying to get the numbers on a sheet. Well, we've reached a point that the numbers have been on a sheet. We're good at that. Now we need to make those numbers jump off the page and come to life so that the business can recognize and, and really receive that enterprise value. Finance, IT, marketing, storytelling, and you mentioned AMM actionable. I actually wrote this down on a piece of paper with a real pen, Jeff, while you were talking. Actionable, memorable, meaningful, and memorable. Wow. Okay, let's see what Pras thinks. Pras, you're up. Talk to me. What do you think about what Jeff just shared? Yeah, I really want to disagree with Jeff, but I can't find a way to do so because uh, some really profound and uh, accurate statements. Uh, uh, absolutely. I mean, finance needs to, I mean, you know, I, I sometimes simplify with finance audiences by saying that, um, you know, they spend so much time on the planning aspect of it that there's so little time spent on the analysis and the analysis is where they can drive the most value. And, you know, I see this profession, I see the individuals that we all work with and they've got their MBAs or CPAs, years and years of experience. They understand the impact of, you know, why things are happening and, um, you know, it's everything along those lines and being able to tell a great story um, to complete the picture. I mean, I think, you know, Jeff, you started talking about storytelling and, uh, um, you know, a CFO once uh, said to me a long time ago when I was in finance that, you know, I was 95% of the way there in the sense that I can produce the most greatest reports with all the data, with all the colors and all the columns and all the analysis. But if I could just weave together a story, it would just take me to that next level, which is probably mm -hmm. why I left finance and here I am right now. But, um, you know, I, I think if finance can do that and they've managed to spend more time in analysis and tell the story and bring it all together and work with IT to facilitate this whole endeavor, uh, it's going to be, you know, an amazing journey for them. Thank you very much. Amazing journey. I think that's what we're all hoping for. Brian, what did you think? So I'll take a, a slightly, uh, I'll agree and then I'll slightly uh, not disagree, but maybe add something. So again, when we talk about FP&A, to me, and I'm trying to be a very simple person, it's three characteristics. I want a quant, so someone who understands finance, a great storyteller, and completely understands my business. So the, the storytelling is so important. I would push back. I mean, I, I, I get the, 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 the belief that all the teams should work together, completely agree with. I think, though, on the technology side, to me, since the cloud was introduced 12 years ago this month with Azure, is that with the um, uh, proliferation of tools that are out there, it's actually become much more on finances responsibility to understand the tools and go to IT to see if it works within the um, 
the architecture and the infrastructure. Because at the end of the day, IT does not know what problems I'm trying to solve for. And so I run into situations where organizations, when they're looking at planning tools and forecasting tools and budgeting tools and data analytic tools, um, when we talk about the technologies, not the products, the technology that exists, they're very surprised. And they're like, my IT people have never told me about this. And I'm like, your IT people will never tell you about this because they have no idea the problems that you're trying to solve for. So yes, there has to be more collaboration, but I actually believe finance is in the driver's seat because you know it's a double-edged sword. We have all these great new tools that we can leverage and use, but we in Office of Finance have to be the ones bringing it to finance, excuse me, bringing it to IT to say, I want these things. Tell me why I can't have them. Interesting. Jeff, this so, was your so, very provocative. What do you think? So Brian's right. And it's been true for, well, the entire history of mankind. As, as long as we've been people, he who has the gold makes the rules. The office of the CFO controls the corporate checkbook. Office of the CFO makes the rules. But it, what Brian's talking about is imperative. The, the office of the CFO, the FP and A team specifically for today's topic, has to do the research and the legwork and, and get IT to help them understand. I, I don't find a lot of finance people that really understand the nuances of the tool. They don't really get the cloud versus, versus hosting. Is it just better marketing or is there a real difference? So they need someone to be partnered with on that, just like they do storytelling, but they've got to lead the way. And it's lead, follow, or get out of the way. Finance has to lead, not just because they have the checkbook, but because they're the ones that should be telling the story in the first place. I have a sidebar story to share with you. I'm remembering a job I had in 1985. I was working for a company that no longer exists called Savings Banks Trust Company, which was created in 1932, way before my time, uh, by the uh, by the banking uh, the banks of New York State, and it was a uh, collective, if you will, that did back office processing for the banks. And you can imagine uh, what happened in 29 and 32. You can see where it came from. And I was hired as a, a marketing person, but before they did that, they hired me as a systems liaison. What was a systems liaison? They said, Bonnie, you have a background in computer science. You are a program analyst. You know how to write code, but you also speak good English. (laughs) (laughs) I, I swear. We want you to be the person who goes to, it was based in, uh, the office I was in was in Woodbury, Long Island, exit something off the Long Island Expressway. But the main office was in the old Greenstamp building, SNH Greenstamp building on uh, 45th and uh, Madison Avenue, I think. A great big tall building in New York, Midtown, wonderful place to be. So they said, you're going to go into the city and you're going to talk to the different departments in the bank and you're going to find out what they need from, and it wasn't called IT, Jeff. It was called Management Information Systems or IMS Information Management Systems. That's what they called it. So they said, you're going to go sit with all these people in the functional areas of the bank and find out what kinds of reporting they need. And you're going to think about it. You're going to come back to Woodbury and you're going to sit with the computer programmers and tell them, Bob in the, the vault area or Mary in check processing, they need this. What do you make of this? And this is how they need the program. And I was the one who was translating between the computer, the English, American, this or whatever, whoever they were from, uh, what the department needed and how the computer programmers were going to give them what they needed in terms of a report. And they created this pro- this especially for me. This was they said, we see you coming. We see what your skills are. 
the computer side and the English side and the ability to translate and get rid of the, the gobbledygook in the middle. So that was my first, I ended up becoming their whole marketing department later on a couple of years later, which was very interesting. But I just, it reminded me. So there, I don't know if anybody, is anybody hiring what they call a systems liaison? I'm not volunteering for that anymore. But is anybody doing that in, in the, the communication, uh, Jeff, between the IT department and, and we, you've all just talked about that, and what the different parts of finance need? How do you translate that? So that's a whole other topic. Process, another topic there. Thank you very much. Great topic. Press, let's look at your statement number one. I like this one a lot. We have time for this. You say, there is a world of opportunities when it comes to marrying finance with real data. Listen up, everyone. Instead of data coming in batches from a single system in a scheduled manner, guess what? There's a world that exists where finance can access any and all relevant data in a meaningful manner and how amazing it must be to influence critical decisions. So let's talk a little bit more deeper on the process level. Press, ooh, there's a, <laughs> go ahead, Press, go ahead. Um, yeah, Bonnie, I mean, really this, uh, you know, my reasoning for this statement was that uh, we now know that there's data everywhere. Data exists everywhere um, in every enterprise, outside the enterprise and social media or whatnot. There's information. And uh, I mean, the whole idea behind data is to make useful decisions. And, um, you know, I think back to uh, when I was in finance and when a lot of our, the people we work with right now, they really do their activities in a scheduled manner. And I hate this term and I really despise the, the, uh, this, uh, the whole aspect of doing things in a scheduled basis because it really almost in a way shows a lack of initiative. And I think, you know, Jeff talked about how often people are entrenched in Excel. I think people are entrenched in their processes and it's time to break these processes because, you know, we all, the three of us, I'm sure we work with customers that start their budgets in August, that do their forecast updates the first of the month and they do an update to their budget in the uh, third month of the year and then they send these up and it, there's this process that has been set for years and it's been done for the sake of doing it and it adds value at that point in time. But beyond that point in time, there are gaps where things are happening on a daily and continuous basis that I think um, if finance individuals and individuals, um, you know, and especially in financial planning analysis, just looked at the data, looked at the information they have, married it together and made predictions and gave guidance in terms of, hey, you know what, our budget said this, but guess what, the world has changed. There's, you know, all sorts of geopolitical and uh, health related uh, crises, maybe opportunities with regards to supply chains or whatnot that are available at this moment in time, let's course correct to deliver better shareholder value. Um, you know, I think um, uh, Jeff or Brian, one of you guys mentioned, uh, actually it was Bonnie, sir, you mentioned the great resignation. Um, just adding to the great resignation, uh, I was in um, uh, New York City in 2020 and I was at a round table of FP&A leaders and one of the things they talked about was the fact that it's hard for them to get young and smart talent. Um, they often get ghosted during interviews or people join for two months and be like, oh my God, what is this? Like I'm, I'm marrying Excel with files and there's no initiative to change things. We've got to get better, not just for ourselves, but for our employees and for our shareholders, everyone. Pras, there is an article in today's New York Times about ghosting is not just for people who are on dating apps. It's happening in job interviews. There is a, an astonishing percentage yeah. of people who aren't even showing up for interviews they've already snagged that they're scheduled for. There's an astonishing amount of ghosting going on in recruiters who thought they had somebody and they're not communicating back and forth. Very, very interesting. Let's go around the table on what Pras just shared. Brian, you're up. What do you think? Talk to Pras. Well, absolutely. I mean, it's it's all about how do we take 
you know, I, I say we, we've conquered the data battle that we had 20 years ago. Because 20 years ago, you know, completely acceptable answer was we don't know, right? Because the data is there, we can't get access to it, it's way too expensive, or by the time we get it, it isn't timely. So we have this great victory that we now have access to, I love this term, brontobytes of data, which is 10 to the 27th power. So whether we're talking about structured, unstructured, internal, external, you know, it is just incredible how much data is out there. So the question is the speed, right? So it's not like, you know, we're only getting it from one or two sources, right? We, you know, we, we can't even get on the same, if we have our ERP and we're any size company, we're, we're not even on the same version thing. You know, we may not even be on the same platform. So we really have to look at how we take all this data and get access to it in as close to real time as possible. And as a non-technical finance person, what has blown my mind, and it's just the technology, is this ability to, to flip what we're all very familiar with, which is ETL to ELT. So instead of taking all our data, transforming it into a format that we can use, and then extracting what we need, it's the idea that we first, we have all the data, we extract what we need, and then we transform it. And it will sound like magic, and everyone should be skeptical when I say this, you can take processes that take three days and get them down to three minutes. So it is just amazing what's achievable today. And then just to kind of add on is this whole concept of taking FP&A and becoming XP&A, which is expanded. It's a term Gartner kind of coined a year ago. We all use it, but it's taking all these great skills that FP&A and finance has in data analytics and using it in marketing and using it in sales and using it in inventory control. And so the whole goal is that the organization can just pivot much quicker, move towards that you know, aspirational goal of 90 seconds. Um, but we have to have the technology, the processes, the people and the culture to be able to do it. Thank you very much. Jeff, you're gonna get the last word on this. I'm looking at the clock, six minutes to close the show. So two, two and a half minutes. Jeff, what do you think? Well, I, I, we're on the right track. Um, I, I think the challenge we talked about the great resignation that, that we haven't addressed is that if you look at Glassdoor statistics, the average FP&A job in the U.S. pays about 70K a year. The average pay for a data scientist, who's probably 20 years younger, is 110K a year. If you, if you want to take advantage of all of this data and if you want to just figure out what data you could use, for example, we've done a bunch of work with Rivian and they're building electric cars. The average connected car produces 25 gigabytes of data every hour. A one hour of, of HD streaming, this, this, this whole show is less than one gigabyte. So if, you, if you're gonna bring in the skill sets, the, the, the data scientists, you've gotta pay people. So you've gotta educate your existing team. You've gotta compensate them in a way that is, is meaningful so they don't go somewhere else. They don't go work for Amazon or in, in, in other industries, they, they stay in the FP&A space that they're excited about it. Then you have to liberate them so they can think differently about the problem. They can reimagine the solution. We've talked about RPA, we've talked about big data. To me, all of those things come back to, you've got to have the right people in the right place. Thank you very much. Words well put. Thank you very much. Pras, I can give you a choice. You can comment back to Brian and Jeff, or we can do a 30-second crystal ball prediction on if we met in one year from today, what would we be saying about this topic? Pras, your call. Let's do 30-second crystal ball, get everybody okay. involved. Then you're up first. Go ahead. What All do right. You think? Um, 
I think in the next year where there's going to be a profound realization within the finance space that yes, the data is there, the data exists, and we've got to get better at handling it. And the way to handle it is to invest in technology, but also invest in our people and processes so that it all comes together. It's not just about having the information there and not being not having the ladder to climb up and get to it. It's about, you know, setting up the processes and setting up and liberating your resources so they know how to access information and empower them to make recommendations and decisions. Thank you very much. Brian, what's your prediction? So I'll, I'll, I'll do well, just start saying. So I think 75% of our data stories that we need to be producing uh, can be automated uh, using analytic techniques. So that's one thing I think we'll see. Uh, public cloud services will be essential uh, for probably up to 90% of our data and analytic innovation. And I'll say this, 95, up to 95% of Fortune 500 companies will converge their analytics governance into broader data and analytics governance initiatives. Thank you very much. Jeff Attendorf, I can give you 60 seconds because they were so brief. Go ahead, Jeff. <laughs> well, I expect us to continue down this path if it's an evolution, not a revolution. There are no automatic answers. So and Brian talked about this earlier. Anyone who tells you there's an automatic, automatic answer, immediately view that with skepticism. It's a big task to understand the data, to get it organized and transformed. So we'll continue down that path. My hope and I would dare say a prediction is that in the space of FP&A, we're going to see more people take continuing education courses in data science, or those departments will hire data scientists so they can really begin to leverage this untapped potential. Thank you very much. Pras, good call on that one. I want to go back and be a data scientist. I want to re-up re all my, 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 nerdy, my nerdy skills from back in the day. Brian, I have a quick question for you. You don't have to answer it. If you take a process somebody is used to doing and it's three hours and you make it three minutes, you go, might get the question, what the heck do you expect me to do the rest of the three hours? Because I, yeah. Right. So here, here's the beauty, right? 30 seconds, go. You need capacity before you can have capability, before you can have collaboration. So get those you know, low IQ activities off of people's desks, free them up. The great thing about FP&A is we work 26 hours a day, eight days a week, 54 weeks a year. We have no lack of work to do. Is that all? <laughs> I'm sorry. Yup, I get it. Thank you to the three of you. Pras, again, thank you to you and Birgit Starman so much for renewing the series. I'm absolutely delighted. I will tell you, I've learned so much about a topic I knew absolutely zero about 11 years ago, and now I know just a scotch more, and I'm always thrilled to learn from you, Pras, and Birgit, and all of your wonderful guests. So I want to do a shout out to Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire, who's now coordinator of client success at Voice America World Talk Radio. Thank you so much, Aaron, for getting us on the air and keeping us there. I want everybody to wave hello, goodbye to LinkedIn. This is a second time we've live streamed the show on my LinkedIn page, and it's on my Technology Revolution page, which is another show. And I want to say, Brian Kalish, always wonderful. Jeff Hattendorf, what can I say? We're listening. And Pras Chatterjee, wonderful. And uh, I want to say, here's my call to action. You all know what's coming. Fasten your seatbelt. Everybody show me virtual. Fasten the seatbelt. Come on, click it together. It's not automated yet. You got to do it. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Brian Kalish, just like Jeff Hattendorf, just like Pross Chatterjee, and maybe just like me, Bonnie D. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Don't go away, guys. Bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to operate profitably and adapt continuously. To keep the conversation going, 
Tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO and join host Bonnie D. Graham on the Business Channel, wishing you a game-changing week.